Good morning, church. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you so much for a time to gather together in spirit and in truth to, to feast around your table, to be reminded of the ways that the cross breaks down all of the barriers that, that we tend to, to fall into the trap of maintaining in our world. God, we pray that as we open up your word this morning, that you will, through the Holy Spirit, speak to each one of us what you need for us to hear. God, we want to lay our lives open. We want to listen, and we want to be changed. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, there are, there are times when we just can't be sure, times when we can't be certain. And while that's especially obviously been true over the last handful of months, uh, those months have, have not been the only time in our lives when you and I experienced this, this situation of, of not knowing what's going to happen next. You know, the first day of school, the last day of your career, the moment you find out that your house sells, the second that you realize you're falling in love. And what all of those moments have in common is while it's true, not knowing what's going to happen next can often be a really challenging, even, even a bad experience. It's not always bad. I mean, it can be, it can be freeing. It, it, can, it can be exciting. You know, you can, you can really be in this situation where you, you feel like you've been stuck. Uh, you, you feel like you need to turn over a new leaf. You need a second chance. And so in those kinds of moments, not knowing what's going to happen next, well, it can actually feel like a new lease on life. And yet I think we all have to really, we have to admit that, that no matter if the feeling is overall excitement or, or it's, it's concern, whenever we find ourselves in a moment, an experience where, where we can't predict what's going to happen next, there's always a little part of us that's at least a little bit afraid, right? There's always a little bit of added stress when we just don't know. You know, even though we, we can't secure our own future, we sure do like to have some sense of what's going to happen in that future, don't we? And more than anything else, we want for that future to be good. When the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years ago, when he was trying to, to share his heart with with these believers who happen to call the, the ancient Roman colony of Philippi home, he, he's trying to speak to them about his faith. He's trying to speak to them about the gospel. And yet, things are really uncertain. He knows it. They know it. I mean, things aren't easy for Paul or for them. And there's no indication that things are going to get easier anytime soon. You know, the, the Christian faith is growing at such uh, an incredible rate that the Roman authorities, the political power players have noticed this movement and they're nervous about what it might do, how it might challenge the, the power and the strength of the Roman Empire. And so they have started to pay a lot of attention. In fact, they've started to turn up the heat against Christianity and against those people who call themselves followers of Christ. It's not easy. And they know it's not going to get any easier. And my guess is, like so many of us, that while they're struggling to understand what, what it is that God wants for them, what God wants from them, knowing that, 
that the next day is going to possibly be harder than today, knowing that the future is that uncertain. It, it's weighing on them. It's making, it's making just getting through everyday life really difficult. And so they need to be reminded when, when they're not sure, when it feels like as they look at the world that it's maybe turned against them or it's gone crazy and they don't know how they're going to get through to the other side, they, they need to be reminded when, when they can't rely on all the things they're used to relying on, that there is someone as people of faith that they know they can rely on. There's, there's someone who, who's going to be there for them no matter what they're experiencing, what they're going through. They, they need to be reminded as crazy as this sounds, as followers of Jesus, that Jesus really is their foundation, that Jesus is the one who will hold them together no matter what happens. And Paul wants to remind them that it's Christ's presence in their everyday lives that's going to matter more than anything else. That even if things don't turn out exactly the way they want them to, that God is going to be there for them, that God is going to find a way to be faithful for them. And that presence every single day it will carry them through. They've got to reach out for it. They've got to hold on to it. They've got to trust it. And Paul wants to speak words to them that help recenter their lives on that conviction. So I want us to read together in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 27, what Paul reminds them of. He says, Whatever happens, as citizens of heaven, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together with one accord for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that destruction is coming, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Whatever happens, the Apostle Paul says, whatever happens. Right? Whatever happens is one of those phrases that when, when somebody says it, you know, it, it kind of stands out. When someone says whatever happens, I listen a little more closely to what they're going to say next. Because when you say whatever happens, you know, there's one of two things going on. Right? You're either about to make a promise that you know is going to be difficult for you to keep because of the obstacles that are in your way. Or you're about to ask other people to do something that you know is going to be difficult for them to do because of the obstacles they have to face. You know, you don't ever say, whatever happens, enjoy the park. This, this phrase, it, it's foreshadowing. It's, it's foreboding. You know that when somebody says, whatever happens, what they really mean is, what's about to happen next could be a lot more difficult than what we're already facing. And if you can't rely on anything else, you can at least rely on this. And in this case, Paul is asking the Philippians to remember that they have already made a commitment. They have already made a discipleship commitment to be certain kinds of people no matter what happens. 
right? To be certain kinds of followers of Jesus, that they're going to live in a certain way, no matter how much the, the situation might tempt them to live in a different way. Paul wants them to decide ahead of time how they're going to live before things get any more challenging than they already are. This is, after all, the constant challenge that those of us who have already promised to follow in the self-giving, self-sacrificial way of Jesus, right? When we promise to follow in his nail-scarred footsteps, we are promising ahead of time. We are deciding ahead of time to live in his way, to live as certain kinds of people, to live as Christ-like people, fully knowing that we're going to run into situations where we're going to face obstacles that are going to tempt us to live in, in all kinds of different ways than Jesus' way. And yet what we're saying as, as people who want to follow in, in the footsteps of Jesus is that when we, we find ourselves in that kind of experience— And we know there's a clear difference between what we want to do and what God is calling us to do. The difference between what we want to do and what we know other people need us to do. We are deciding in advance to choose Christ. To choose Christ and his way. You know, according to Paul, as citizens of of heaven, citizens of the kingdom, we're the people who make and keep those kinds of promises. Right? As citizens of heaven, we make and keep unconditional promises in an uncertain world. Or at least that's who we're supposed to be. It's who we're called to be. In a, a chaotic world where I feel like we are, are constantly being told that we have to, to pick a side and, and to make a stand as citizens of heaven, We, Paul says, we are the ones who've already decided to choose that we're going to to stand together in one spirit with one soul. And we stand together in in one spirit and with one soul, not to win an argument or, or to force our agenda. No, we stand together in one spirit and with one soul to win souls, not, not to win arguments, but to win souls and not to force anything, but to become a force for, for goodness and grace in a world that so often feels like it's being overrun by darkness and hate. The Apostle Paul says we stand together in one spirit and with one soul so that people who don't believe that the gospel is true can see the undeniable truth of the gospel on display through us. You know, the gospel always looks a certain way in our world. And one of the the key themes of Paul's letter to the Philippians is that, that whether we always grasp this or not, our lives are always on display. Always on display. Someone's always watching. Someone's always not only watching us, not only witnessing us in our way of life, but they're learning from us God's way of life. We bear his name our lives are on display. So what are people seeing when they look at us? And Paul says, look, you don't get to choose just any, any way of life that you hold up as the gospel way of life. The gospel always looks like something. The gospel, in fact, always looks like people who come together and stay together because Christ has asked them 
to come together and stay together. That's the only reason. There is no other single reason. The gospel looks like new relationships being created and nurtured and and people who have all kinds of diverse backgrounds and perspectives. I think sometimes even more than new relationships being created and nurtured, the gospel looks like broken relationships being restored and repaired and recreated. The gospel, brothers and sisters, it, it looks like selfless peacemaking in a world that feels so much to me at times like a place of of self-centered, never-ending war. And let me tell you, the path of, of selfless peacemaking can be a lonely path to walk. It's a lonely place to be because when you refuse to pick just one side, you often find yourself being attacked from every side. When you try your best to see and honor the visible trace of God's image in every single person, when you try to see God's image in every single person, no no matter what kinds of opinions they hold or, or how different their way of life may be, well, my experience is you often end up offending everybody else along the way. And and I'm telling you, you could really start to feel like you're alone. And you may even start to wonder if it's worth it. And, And Paul says, look, we stand together. Remember, we stand together in one spirit and with one soul so that we never have to stand alone. And because we never have to stand alone, we never have to be afraid. We never have to be afraid when we run into resistance. We we never have to be afraid when we face the opposition. And we will run into resistance. We will have to face opposition. There are always forces at work in our world that are against the heart of God. That are against the heart of the gospel. And there are people in our world that are held under the sway of the spirit of the age. Not the Holy Spirit, but the, the, the spiritual forces and powers within our world that don't want God's vision and will to ever come true. We will run into resistance. We will run into the opposition. And yet, what Paul's trying to say is that when we encounter people, who don't just disagree with us, but when we encounter people who reject us and and try to shame us and don't just try to, to tear us down, but try to tear us apart, we stand firm together in the one spirit, in the one soul. And we don't have to be afraid. We also don't have to decide that the battle that's being waged is something that you and I have to fight all on our own. That somehow we're engaged in some sort of cultural victory that we're trying to engineer through our own insight and skill and abilities. No, we need to learn in the midst of chaos and disagreement and division to trust that God is present. Not only in our lives, but in the lives of other people that frankly at times we we have to admit we just don't understand. And, And when those people who don't see the world the way we do, and and when we run into each other, and and when we might feel attacked, when we might feel threatened, you know, we've got to be convinced that we've decided ahead of time 
how we're going to respond in those kinds of challenging, difficult situations of disagreement. Right? And I got to tell you, when I feel threatened, when I feel attacked, I am not tempted to turn the other cheek like Jesus has asked me to. No, I'm tempted to stick up for myself. And the real challenge is, is this, that there are times when I convince myself that sticking up for myself is the same exact thing as standing up for Christ. And sticking up for myself and standing up for Christ are not the same thing. In fact, most often in my experience, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but for me, standing up for Christ always looks like standing down to the, the angry, aggressive, selfish response that I really want to carry out against someone or some group or, or some situation where I don't like how things are going, where I don't like how I'm feeling, I don't like how I'm being treated. So often, standing up for Christ means standing down to the, the darkest impulses in my heart. That Jesus constantly in a world where he knows we're, we're facing all kinds of challenges relationally and, and trying to figure out how to get along together in, in this world of, of barriers and, and misunderstandings. Jesus says before we attack back, before we somehow hit back, we need to find a way to, to take a step back and, and take stock of what's really going on in our hearts, what's, what's really going on in our souls, not just our individual souls, but the soul we share together. What's really driving us? What's really driving me? You know, is this, is this response, is this post, is this comment, is this statement that I'm about to set loose in the world is it really about me trying to find the most effective way for the light of Christ to shine through me? Or is it just have this thin veneer of Christianity, but underneath it all, underneath the vocabulary, what's really going on is I just want to be right. I want to be proved right. I, I want to win the argument. I want to force my way. I want to shut somebody else down, and I want to be able to declare victory. And look, it's, it's hard enough at times for me to be honest about what's driving me, what's going on in my own heart. But brothers and sisters, Paul is never talking just to one of us. Paul is always talking to all of us. And so he says, it's not just about what's driving us as individuals separate from one another. We've got to wrestle honestly as a church with what's driving us as a community. Right? Are we faithfully displaying Right? In other words, living and through living, showing, through, through living and showing, teaching, are we displaying the reconciling truth of the gospel? Or are we trading posts that, that we f feel like are, are clearer and better at communicating our favorite current lists of, of our favorite points of view? God calls us to live out the unity of that one spirit, the sharing of that one soul because of what Christ has done and is doing for us, not because of what anyone else is doing to us. Our unity doesn't come from the fact that we share the same list of enemies. You know, that, that's the quickest way to create community is to decide we're, we're all against the same people. We're all against the same causes that may be one of the fastest ways to create unity or community. It is 
always the most toxic way. And Paul's not talking about that, even though he mentions opposition, even though he mentions that there's people who are going to resist. Our unity doesn't come from the outside. Our unity comes from the inside. Our, Our unity comes from the Holy Spirit of God. Our unity comes from our common need for more Jesus in our lives, not not our common take on exactly what social or political or cultural agendas we subscribe to. You know, I don't know if you've you've noticed this or not, but it seems to me that the the social movements and the political platforms in our world, that they seem more and more to demand our, our full agreement our total allegiance. If you want to support someone or something, you're expected to be 100% behind every single thing they say or do. And more than that, you're expected to be behind every single kind of strategy they come up with that they think is going to help them accomplish their goals. If you're not totally sold out to them, most of the competing groups in our world are going to tell you, well, that means that you're a total sellout to something else that they believe, they're convinced, is the problem. And before you know it, you're the problem. And here's the thing. As citizens of heaven, as, as citizens of the kingdom, we don't get to look at the brokenness of our world, the, the difficulties in our world, and run away. We don't get to retreat. We don't get to disengage. We don't get to hunker down and hope that somebody else is, is going to fix all of these problems. No, we're called to live lives that are on display We're called to live lives of the gospel where relationships that weren't possible before are possible now. And and the way we prove that is by developing those relationships, by repairing those relationships. So we don't get to just say, you know what, we're going to be above the fray and we're not really going to enter in. No, we have to engage. But we also, as citizens of the kingdom, we don't get to be sold out to anything or anyone but Jesus. We don't get to be 100% behind anything but the mission of God. We We don't get to give our full allegiance to anything but the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So when we as as citizens of heaven, citizens of the kingdom, when we try to get behind a a social movement or a political party or a corporate uh, institution or a community organization, we need to be really clear both within our own hearts and towards the people who belong to any of those groups, that while we we look at those groups and we see some goodness there and we want to be supportive and we may even decide that we want to be a part of those various groups, that at the same time, as much as we want to support them as much as we, we possibly can, we're going to be as honest as we possibly can when we see them acting in ways or, or moving through the world in ways that we feel like are out of line with the self-giving, self-sacrificial way of Jesus. If you're going to invite us as citizens of the kingdom to be a part of something, then you should expect us to stand up and to speak up when we think something isn't in line with who we believe Jesus is calling us to be. Let me be as direct as I possibly can. There absolutely are social movements, political parties, corporate institutions, community organizations that you and I, that we can and we should be a part of. But none of those groups that we can be a part of 
is already enough like Jesus. None of those groups. And if we're gonna be invited to the table, if we're gonna be invited into the room, we've got to faithfully be the voice that asks the question, is there a more loving way to do this? Is there a way to do this that brings about the peace that God wants us to bring to this world through the power of the Spirit? Is there a way for us to see the image of God in someone who we disagree with or, or someone who has a different opinion or a better sense of, of what they think the world should look like and we, we, we shake our heads in disagreement? Is there a way to not just talk about Christ while we're at church, but to speak of Christ Wherever we find ourselves, whatever group we're a part of in any given moment, we're the people who call ourselves and call the groups that we belong to to reflect Jesus, to display the goodness of the gospel. None of the groups that we're a part of are already enough like Jesus. It's hard to see that when you have to be 100% right. It's hard to admit that when... You look at so many of the, the things that are going on in our world and we know that things just simply aren't the way God wants them to be and it's hard to know where to start. It's hard to know, you know, all of these groups are imperfect. All of these groups are limited. Maybe we should just not choose. And yet Paul says, no, 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 no. The gospel calls us to the broken places of the world. When we get there, we bring Christ you know, it's, it's not just true out there. It's true in here too because it's true of this church. I mean, there are things that I look at in the, in the life that we share together and I, I see Christ and his way of life. There are things that I look at and I see Jesus and his values just shining through. And, and when I see us living faithfully, when we're displaying Christ my heart swells, my heart sings. But there are other places in our shared life where I have to admit, you know, we, we sometimes, sometimes the way we end up acting and interacting with one another, sometimes the, the way we sometimes let our own self-interest get the best of us. And it's hard to face that truth, but brothers and sisters, it's the gospel truth. And we have to not only see it, but we have to confess it, that, that as a church, there are ways in which we still have a long way to go. I, I still have a long, long way to go. And while I know that can be difficult to face and, and at times even overwhelming to have to try to deal with, the reality is it's really, really good news because we shouldn't be placing our ultimate faith for the future of this world in social movements or political parties or corporate institutions or community organizations. We shouldn't be placing our ultimate faith for the future of this world in our own abilities at all. That's not where our hope for a better future for everyone can ever really come from. That, that's, not, that's not where real and lasting joy can ever really be found. Our faith, our hope, our joy 
it all can only come from the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I think at times you can tell by our fear that we've put far too much faith in things that fail, in people who fail. Jesus never fails. The gospel never fails. And it's not just some fairy tale. It's not just some history lesson. It's not just some thing that might come true some way in the far off future. It's here now. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, they're here with us now intervening and interacting. And so often we miss it because we're so busy putting our faith in in organizations and groups and movements and things we can belong to that just can't carry us. They can't carry the future of the world. So we come back to God's word. We, We come back to what the Apostle Paul is trying to remind not only the Philippians, but to remind us. And that is the fact that we are called in in the midst of a world that's kind of losing its mind and losing its way. We're called to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. And when Paul says that, he doesn't mean that we're going to live lives that make us worthy to receive the gospel. Well, we can't do that. We know that, right? That can't be what Paul's talking about, and it's not. Paul means that we should live lives that reflect the strength, the power, the steadfastness of the gospel, the the glory of the gospel. We should live lives that tell the story of the gospel. We should live lives that honor the way of the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, it's the still unfolding story of God with us, God changing us, God helping us, God empowering us to be together again, healing every relationship, every problem. That's the story of the gospel. And our lives either tell that story, honor that story, reflect that story, or they don't. And what Paul wants us to recommit ourselves to if we've lost our way in the midst of difficulties is that we want to be people whose, whose lives display the gospel so clearly and so powerfully that the people around us can't deny it. Living a life worthy of the gospel means living a life where we actively show other people the true worth the gospel brings to our everyday lives. The gospel is what gives our life worth, meaning, purpose. The gospel is what makes our lives worth living. The gospel is the only thing that can make anybody's life worth living. And too often... I feel like we reach out to rely on something else. We put our faith somewhere else. And then we experience despair when those people, when those movements, when those things, when those institutions, when they fail us. But our faith shouldn't be in that place. We should have never given that much of our heart to anything but our Savior, our Redeemer, our friend who has never gone anywhere. And I'll admit it right now, all the things that we're tempted to rely on in addition to God, all of those things seem a lot more fragile and vulnerable than they ever have before. But that's not really what's happening. What's happening is we're actually seeing how fragile and vulnerable those things always are. We can see it now if we couldn't see it before. And yet at the same time, we have to choose to be people, brothers and sisters, who look beyond that, who look past that, to the one thing that we truly can rely on. 
The gospel is the only thing that can give any of us a future worth having. God with us, God walking beside us, God intervening. When we don't know what's going to happen, when we don't know what else to do, God's there. And when, when everything else that we have depended on, when we start to realize that it may fail us, and it might, all of those things might fall apart. They may fall down. We, brothers and sisters, we believe, we are convinced that we're still going to have God, that God is still going to hold on to us, that we can rely on him, that we can depend on him, that we can trust in him, and that is all we need. It's all anybody needs. So may we find the courage to embrace our faith again. We have already decided, if we have decided to follow Jesus, we've already made the choice that no matter what happens, whatever happens, we believe that the gospel is true. We believe our lives are caught up in the story of God with us. We have reason for hope. We have reason for faith. And brothers and sisters, we have, we have reason for real and lasting joy in a world that doesn't know, that doesn't know and needs us to tell that gospel story, not just through our words, but through our lives. I'm going to ask Mark to join me. We're going to sing together now as the community of the gospel. May we rely on what matters most. May we rely on who matters most to us. Let's sing together now.